All right, today we're going to be talking about in the desert, but not forgotten. <laughs> Many of you are like, okay. <laughs> Father, we ask that you would bless this word, that you would anoint me to speak. And Father, that you would anoint these to receive and to apply. And God, we just thank you for your presence. We thank you for your glory. And it's in Jesus' name I pray and ask. Amen. This is one of the biggest lies that the devil and his fairy minions come and tell us. Is that God has forgotten you. That God doesn't love you. This has plagued me during my most important and trying times. It's, it's, lie, it's a lie that will stifle your walk. It will make you feel as if God's word does not apply to you. You know how it feels. It applies to everyone else, but it doesn't apply to me. And what makes this so interesting to hear when Satan throws it at us is because you look at the, that your trial that you're in, and then you look at the length of the trial. The length. That's when Satan really has a megaphone. Look how long you've been in this situation. But maybe God, you feel as if God has abandoned you. Maybe you've even told God that. Maybe you've said, God, you've left me in this waterless pit. Listen, when your back's against the wall, that's where God is at his best. You see, you need to get down in the word of God and see the truths that apply. And you need to preach those truths to yourself. <laughs> You've been there. <laughs> Listen, God is your deliverer. God can make a way where there seems to be no way. God made water pour out of a rock for his children. God sent ravens to feed Elijah. God fed a widow woman and her son based on, on a, some grain. I mean, think about that. We, we'd be like, God, can you drop whoppers down? Or <laughs> maybe not those that are on Whole30, but <laughs> you don't know what that is. That's the new diet that people are doing, which I heard works, works really well. Bomb number one. <laughs> Listen, God is the God who can shut the mouth of the lions. He did it for Daniel and he can do it for you. He is our ever present help in the time of trouble. He is our mighty deliverer, the conqueror of death, hell, and the grave. Those are the things that we fear the most and Jesus Christ has defeated it. Now listen, your God doesn't forfeit his favor because you didn't fast for 21 days and pray three hours within those 21 days. Nothing Nothing forfeits God's favor when you reach out to him by faith in Jesus Christ. You see, there's no expiration date on the cross. I want to share with you this morning the key that will sustain you, that will help you during your time in the desert. And it's found in this story, the story of Mephibosheth. You will appreciate your name when you see the name Mephibosheth. We're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 9, but first I want to read, I want to set up the story in 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4. It says, Saul's son Jonathan had a son named Mephibosheth, who was crippled as a child. 
He was five years old when the report came from Jezreel that Saul and Jonathan had been killed in battle. When the child's nurse heard the news, she picked him up and fled. But as she hurried away, she dropped him and he became crippled. You see, this story is full of prophetic parallels. This story of Mephibosheth is the story of us. But his future is also our future. See, Mephibosheth was Jonathan's son. And David and Jonathan were best of friends. So when you understand that Mephibosheth was, did not know anything about David and Jonathan's covenant. So Mephibosheth's name means a shameful thing. Think of that. This is before this even happened. He gets his name. Listen, and it was not his fault that he was dropped. Some of you need to hear that. You're in a situation, you're like, this is not fair. I didn't do anything. Some things just happen in your life and it become part of your life. Now, this is a dual meaning in this story. Mephibosheth is a picture of us who, before we are saved, are spiritually crippled, unable to please God, unable to reach out to God, unable to walk in righteousness. But it's also a picture of the Christian that is in a place called Lodabar. This is where Mephibosheth was. Now, before I go any further, this is a story about covenant. But David and Jonathan's covenant, they came into covenant together and Mephibosheth benefited. So I don't want you to think if you're here and you are lost that, oh, maybe I can be God's grandchild and live like I want. That's not how it works. The covenant that you have is with God Almighty when you enter into faith through Jesus Christ. And your desire is to live a life pleasing to him and a repentant life. That is salvation. It's not just coming to church. It's not just doing nice things. It's believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's acknowledging that I am a spiritual cripple. Some people believe in a gospel that doesn't even tell you that you're crippled because they can walk. You're, you're already good. You know, God has a wonderful plan for your life. I have a wonderful plan for my life. This is going to work out great. No, the issue is, God, I know that I cannot please you in and of myself. I acknowledge that before you. I know me. Get real with yourself. I know me. I know that I cannot please God. But Jesus Christ, who died on Calvary's cross for our benefit, is the only thing that makes us right before God. Now, second Sam, I'm sorry, first Samuel 18, verse three. Let's look at the things that we must remember when we enter into a relationship with God, when we're going through a desert storm, so to speak. I want to give you five things. Now, in first Samuel 18, three, it says, then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. Okay, so they're in covenant. David and Jonathan are in covenant. Mephibosheth's living in Lodabar. He has no idea about this covenant. Now let's go to 2 Samuel chapter 9, 1 through 5, and we're going to pick up the story. And David said, is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. 
And the king said, is there still not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amalil at Lodabar. Then the king, then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amalil at Lodabar. Now listen, Lodabar means pastureless place or desert place. It's the place of spiritual barrenness where it looks hopeless. Do you feel like everyone around you is in green pastures and you're chewing grass, trying to find grass in a desert place? How many Mephibosheths am I looking at in this building this morning? Maybe you feel like you have been dropped, so to speak, by, by a situation that did not even, that you did, had no part in. Or maybe you feel dropped by God himself. You've been praying about something and it never happened. And now you're disappointed with God. It may be sickness. Broken dreams, a loss of some sort. Maybe you feel you're not good enough. Maybe your marriage is in shambles. I came by to tell you, the king is looking for you. All it takes is a suddenly moment with the Lord Jesus Christ. And everything can change and work out for your good and his glory. Listen, be confident in your Savior. Your best days are ahead of you. Remember the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Once again, you will appreciate your name. (laughs) The furnace was heated seven times more. And their attitude was, my God is able to deliver me. But if not... Listen, Satan has been telling you nothing will ever change in your life. Maybe the fire is seven times hotter. You can do just as these three Hebrew boys did. You look at Satan in his face and you say, my God is able to deliver me. But if not, I will not back away. I will keep moving in the Lord's presence and I will never turn my back on him. Let me give you a personal testimony here. I look at the situation with my dad. Many of you know he's been battling cancer now for 11 years. And we had gone from Iberia General. You know, it seems as if it kept getting seven times worse. I mean, he went from one tumor to two tumors to six tumors. And it was it was escalating. At the time of first preparing this message, I started on this message months ago. His CEA levels were at an all-time high. And I needed to preach these truths to myself. So I started working on a message about God delivering. About God delivering. That's what we need to do when it gets tighter. When the, when you feel the noose getting tighter. You need to rise up and say, my God is able. If you hear nothing more from this message this morning, understand that our God is able to deliver you from any circumstance that is thrown your way. So we went from that to weeping to wondering now what we're going to do. And then my dad gets a call from a very wealthy man and he says, Larry, 
I want you to go to MD Anderson. The Lord has placed this on my heart. And so my dad started figuring it out. Well, how can this be done? He said, I'm going to handle everything. This man had to have a total liver transplant. And he went to St. Luke's Hospital. And he was in front of the greatest doctors in the world. My dad hung up the phone within hours. These doctors called my dad and said, we want to meet with you. So we, we go to MD Anderson. They put him on a special, special regiment. And then the chemo does not work. Had we been in New Iberia, he'd probably be dead by now. But the fact remains, we were in the presence of the greatest doctors. Now, God uses doctors. And they said, Larry, we got a procedure we want to try on you. It was experimental, experiential up to two years ago. But you're a perfect candidate because the cancer is nowhere else. It's the same tumors you've been dealing with for all this time. So they went in, went in through the leg, sent some beads, blocked off the tumor flow, and sent high dosages of chemo to the to those uh, tumors. And then they said, your CEA levels were already high. And when you come back after two weeks, they're going to be astronomically high. And probably the week after that, so don't worry. So we were like, oh, man, (laughs) obviously you go from one thing to the next seven times hotter. But come to find out, he went two weeks later, his CEA levels had dropped 40 percent. And then the next two weeks after that, they dropped 20 percent. So now they put my dad on a maintenance chemo and they said, you know what, we're not really going to target the liver anymore because we believe that we probably got it. Now, I don't want to get up here and say, you know, that that's a fact and this and that because... I just know what we know as of now. And my dad is taking this maintenance chemo and those tumors on his liver are not a bother right now. Praise God. That's God's ability to sustain. Now, listen. When you're in the fiery trial, I'm talking the fiery trial of your life. Can you be like Daniel 3.25? I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire. When you're in a trial, can people see Jesus with you in the trial? Your attitude in the fiery furnace should be, our God is able to deliver me. Daniel 3.23, and these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound in this burner, burning fiery furnace. Now, listen, you may be in the fiery furnace and it's gotten worse. Now you're bound in it. Listen, the Lord Jesus Christ is able to untie you, to be with you. Listen, the fiery furnace is the best place to be if Jesus Christ is in there with you. That's the best place to be. Now, listen, in Daniel 3, 27 and 28, the hair on their heads were not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed, and the smell of fire had come upon them, had not come upon them. And Nebuchadnezzar answered, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I liken this to my dad. If you see him, you do not, you cannot tell he has taken 75 chemo treatments. He still has a head full of hair. He still looks healthy. He'll squeeze my hand and and crush my fingers. But he always does that. You want to see if I, if, if this chemo is affecting me? And he was, I'm like, ah, okay, dad. <laughs> Why don't you just whip me? 
Yeah, that got awkward. <laughs> Listen, your trial is producing a greater glory, a greater weight. I don't care if it's sickness, finances, disappointment, loss. It's not meaningless. It's not pointless. Don't look at this situation and say, this is pointless, God. Say, God, you get glory for yourself out of this situation. When tragedy visits you and you lose six children. Don't say it's not meaningless. When you lose someone that you love at an early age, do not say this is meaningless. No, no. Rise up out of the ashes of despair and sow your pain into God's rich soil of sovereignty. Set your eyes on eternal plans and purposes of God and launch out into the deep of his ways. Listen, God could have taken cancer out of his body 11 years ago. But look at the miraculous feeding for those 11 years. You see, some people are looking for the final delivery but you're missing the cloud by day and the fire by night. It's not about the final delivery. It's the sustaining power of trusting God and going through that storm until it comes. Listen, the final delivery may be death on this side, but it's life on the other side. In the words of Levi Lusko, who lost his daughter at five years old from an asthma attack, he said, death is either about leaving home or going home to the Christian. Listen, sow your pain and expect God to bless you even greater than the trouble that you face in that waterless pit. Listen, no matter what you're, you're facing today, the Bible calls it a light and momentary affliction. In the light of his glory. Many of us don't like that. It's like this thing is about to destroy me. God is bigger than that. We need to think how God thinks. The very thing that was going to destroy the disciples. Jesus used as a sidewalk to deliver them. In Zechariah 9, 11 and 12. It says because of the blood of your covenant. I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to the stronghold, you prisoner of hope. Even today, I declare that I will restore double to you. Listen, I want to raise your faith level this morning. God fed, I've told you this before, three million Jewish people with manna from heaven three times a day. Think about that for 40 years. It would have taken 45 rail cars with 15 tons of manna per cart to meet that need. What's your need? <laughs> you may be looking at your circumstance, this mountain that is in front of you. The king is coming. Help is on the way. The enemy will come and say, tell that preacher to shut up. Get used to Lodabar. You're going to be here a while. Notice how we can hear the lies so easily. We identify with the lie. I mean, that lie will creep in. We've been praying all day and fasting all day. And all of a sudden the lie comes. You're like, oh, uh, that that sounds more realistic than what I'm going, you know, th than the truth of God's word. Number two, line up with his word, not your circumstance. 
How do we keep getting stuck in this belief system? The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 10.5, we destroy, I like that. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. Take every thought captive into the obedience of Christ. The lie is nothing will ever change. And God has forgotten you. The truth is God is working all things out for his glory and for your good. And I will never leave you nor forsake you. Listen, choose to believe God's word, not your circumstance. Looking back, how many times did Mephibosheth sit in the dust at Lodabar and said, this is not my fault. I'm a cripple. Nothing will ever change. I see people all around me walking, fulfilling their dreams, but nothing will change for me. I've been thrusted into circumstances that I hate. Maybe he got so frustrated in his inabilities that he became in bondage to depression. Do you feel like that this morning? Little did Mephibosheth know that King David had a covenant with his father, Jonathan. I like this part. It says David sent Ziba. That's a type of the Holy Spirit. Come on. That's a type of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was sent ahead to announce the king. Listen, Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you. The Holy Spirit was after you in the ballrooms night after night, watching us make a fool of ourselves. And he was sitting there with his arms crossed saying, God wants you. Saying, God wants you. God loves you. That's why you would go home at night and you would feel so convicted because then the Holy Spirit is looking over you saying, God wants you. God wants you. I'm not leaving until God gets you. Praise God. Listen, preach these truths of the word to yourself. This book says, by his stripes, we are healed. This book says, I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh in the last days. This book says, I will make a way where there seems to be no way. This book says, I will be a friend that sticks closer than a brother. This book says, though your family forsake you, I will never forsake you. This book says, wait on the Lord and you will renew your strength. This book says, my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. This book says that he will keep your mind in perfect peace if your mind has stayed on him. The Bible says, pray and believe that you have received and you will have what you ask. This Bible says, call unto me and I will show you great and mighty things that you do not know. If you're dealing with the devil, the Bible says, I have given you all authority over the enemy to crush the serpent. This book says, I go to prepare a place for you and I will come and receive you again. And let me plug the rapture here. One day soon, the trump's going to sound and we will rise beyond this building into the skies, beyond the stars, beyond the planets, beyond the, the, the outer, the outer realm. And we will stand on the glorious streets of heaven. Lodabar seems like he's getting a little wet and ain't as dusty anymore. Listen, God is looking to be kind to you because of Jesus. Jesus, the King of Kings, we didn't earn it. We're not good enough in our own self, but Christ declares us righteous. 
Now imagine Mephibosheth as he hears the king is looking for him. You need to know that potential heirs were killed in those days. And being Saul's grandpa, I mean, a uh, grandson doesn't really get you a get out of jail free card in the real world with King, as far as King David is concerned. But King David was a type of Christ. Maybe he, maybe he was thinking, wait, he's looking for me? All what I'm going through, I can't even walk, and now he's looking for me, he's going to kill me. Think about that, getting bad to worse. Imagine him getting out of his bed, hobbling to his closet, putting on his best clothes, grabbing his crutches, and expecting the worst. Point number three, trust the king will honor his covenant. In 2 Samuel 9, 6, it says, When he came to David, he bowed low to the ground, In deep respect, David said, greetings, Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth replied, I am your servant. Now imagine as King David, as he is brought into King David's presence. Imagine that, I mean, when you talk about kings, I mean, these people had respect for the king. And for Mephibosheth to walk in the presence of the king, notice he didn't say, My grandfather was Saul. I'm a king's kid. He didn't walk in and say, you owe me, buddy. He didn't say any of that. But notice David did not threaten him. David did not say, ha, I got you now. Do you know what your grandfather did to me? He didn't do that. He said, I'm going to I'm going to take you in. Jesus feels the same way at Calvary. The very people that were against him, persecuting him slapping him. He said, I'm going to give my life for you. Out of humbleness and respect and awe, Mephibosheth came. Listen, this is the only posture to have with the king of glory. You don't kick the door of heaven open and say, the Bible says to come boldly to the throne of grace. That's what I just did. No, that's pride and watch your knees. (laughs) You go before God knowing that he is king. Knowing that he is your heavenly father, but knowing that he is king and you bow before him as we just did in worship and say, Father, I adore you. I worship you. I honor you. But what Mephibosheth did was, King, I am no threat. I am your servant. Number four, the king will comfort and reward because of the covenant. David said to him, do not fear. For I will surely show kindness to you for the sake of your father, Jonathan, and will restore to you all the land of your grandfather, Saul, and you shall eat at my table regularly. What other king, you know, said, fear not. Listen, Jesus is telling you today, fear not. He sees your circumstances. He sees your tears. And the Bible says he puts them in a bottle. But he also sees the covenant. He sees the covenant in your situation. The same words that were uttered to the disciples on the Sea of Galilee. When Jesus said, fear not. How many times did the disciples hear that? How many times do we hear that? Listen, when we fear, it's lack of faith. And I know it's hard for us not to get in that mindset. You know, just like worry. If I were to say, raise your hand, if you commit adultery, nobody would raise their hand. 
If I told you, raise your hand if you stole something, no one would admit to that. But if I said, raise your hand if you worry, all the hands would go up. But it's still a sin. Because it's saying, God, I don't believe that you are able to take care of me in this situation. The real fear that we have is that God will not work it out like we want. That's what it is. And if you get really deep in that, that's idolatry. That's saying, I want what I want. When our posture should be, God, I want what you want. Now, we don't get there overnight. i tell you how you get there. A lot of unanswered prayers going the way you want. You ever took a dog and laid it on his back and it's kicking and screaming and eventually it gives up? That's the best. No one has done that? <laughs> you ought to try it. It's a way to submit the dog. <sighs> Nobody works for Peter, huh? No, it's really not. I'm just joking. Really, seriously, if you have a dog and you want to play with him, you lay him down. I have a big English Mastiff. He's about 160 pounds. It's hard holding him down. I used to be able to do that when I was a, when he was a puppy. And I'd hold him down and he'd kick and scream and, you know, and he'd just lay there and I'd pet him on his stomach. Now when I go up to him, he just lays down and waits for me to pet him. So, <laughs> Listen, Satan uses your circumstances as a megaphone. But God uses his word as a megaphone. Fill your mind with his word. Fill your soul with his presence and wait patiently for God to move on your behalf. You see, Lodabar may not be a physical place nowadays, but it's a mindset. It's a mindset. Second Samuel nine, verse seven. David said, do not fear, for I will surely show kindness to you for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I wanted to bring this out because to you parents that are serving God and your kids are not. How many times did your relationship with God block off an attack from the enemy against your children? Do you understand that David and Jonathan's relationship, that covenant, Mephibosheth was blessed because of it. The blessings of God even though your children may not be in covenant, will still roll down from you and get on them. That's what we need to know. The blessings of God roll down. So you have the ability to inspire and influence your bloodline when you are serving God. See, instead of murmuring and complaining, you stayed the course. Many of you went the extra mile in spite of all the circumstances. I want to tell you, God has seen it all and he does not miss a thing. The end result is David made a decision that would change Jonathan's son's life. And he said that he could eat this table for life. Now, I want you to go with me in your mind and see the scene played out before you. Imagine the grand palace, this grand table, these beautiful chairs. See Absalom with his long flowing hair. See Amnon and the other sons and and daughters of David. And all of a sudden, you hear the sound of crutches coming down the hallway. The sight of sheer hopelessness 
Put yourself in the place of Mephibosheth. How would you feel unworthy sitting at the table with all of these king's kids? Sitting there. And maybe look under the table. You would see all of these muscular, athletic legs. And then when you get to Mephibosheth, you see dangling legs. Then you see King David walk into the room. And he sits at the table with all of his kids and Mephibosheth sitting there. To David, he looks like everyone else. He's not looking under the table. You see, you and I were crippled, living in poverty. But the king came and arrested us. But he did not imprison us. Instead, he arrested us with grace and he imprisoned us with promises. Look through the eyes of the king and see how he sees you. It may seem uncomfortable in your circumstance. Look above the table. That is your destiny. Right now is the practice run. Your view is under the table, but focus your eyes on above the table where you see the king sitting there. Listen, Mephibosheth did not know about the covenant promises, but we do. We know about the promises. What's the message? If you're in relationship with Jesus Christ, even though you get your eyes off the promises, his eyes are still on the promises. His eyes are still seeing the best for you. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. For you. You who love him. You who are called by his name, serving him, loving him, embracing him. He is calling you. And let me tell you something. If you could peek into heaven, you would see your name as a reserved spot. Your name sitting beside Moses, King David, Paul, John, James, Peter. That is your destiny. That is, but Satan wants you to look at the here and now. Point number five, the king will recompense all that was lost when he comes. Look in 2 Samuel 9, 8, verse 8 through 10. Then he bowed himself and said, What is your servant that you should look upon such as a dead dog as I? Remember another lady who talked about being a dog, eating crumbs under the table. Verse 9, And the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given to you, I have given to your master's son all that belonged to Saul and all to his house. You, therefore, and your sons and your servants shall work the land for him, and you shall bring in the harvest that your master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's son, shall eat bread at my table always. Now notice David also promised to restore the land of his grandfather. Now, I'll share how this story affected me. You see, I've lost land here. I've lost lineage. Beyond the stars are my kids sitting at the king's table, waiting for their father 
and their mother and their grandmother and their grandfather to approach the table. And that can happen at any moment. And at that sound of the great trump, there will be no sound of crutches that sometimes I feel like I walk on now. Those crutches will be left behind. There will be no crutches going down that hallway to meet my children. Listen, I don't know how these promises play out here. All of them. I do not know because some people will say, well, God promised this and it didn't happen or it didn't happen this way. You know, we get all into all into that stuff. But listen. I want to share something with you that the Lord gave me. He said, Kelly, get your eyes from under the table. Stop playing footsies with the devil in your mind. Stop playing footsies. This present life can be viewed as looking under the table. That's how we we view everything. But we need to keep our eyes on the one who sits at the head of the table. Listen, we divided time. We divide time in death and in heaven. But I pulled something up. I don't know if you've ever heard of the name Kenneth Wiest. He's one of the greatest Greek scholars. It does not matter what denomination you are. People go to him and look at his 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 uh, interpretations because he interprets from the Greek in present, past or future tense. Now, I don't claim to know Greek, but I do like this kind of stuff. Listen, eternal life is the big picture. Eternal life begins at salvation and it continues forever. Before Christ, all you see is under the table. Let me read you a verse in this translation. John 3, 15 through 16. It says that everyone who places his trust in him may be having life eternal. For in such a manner... Did God love the world in so much that his son, the uniquely begotten one, he gave in order that everyone who places his trust in him may not perish, but may be having eternal life. See, the New Living says it as it's supposed to say it. I like this because this is present. You're experiencing eternal life Now, when you come into the the kingdom on this earth, John 17, three, and this is the external eternal life, namely that they might be having an experiential knowledge of you, the only genuine God and of him who you sent on a mission, Jesus Christ. See that you may be having an experimental experiential knowledge now. And in John 5, 24. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who habitually hears my word and is believing the one who sent me has eternal life. And into judgment, he does not come, but he has been permanently transferred out of the sphere of death into life. That's why Jesus would say this person's only sleeping. Jesus had a different view of death. Before he conquered and defeated death. 
Death does not scare Jesus whatsoever. Because he knows it's not the end. Death is not the end. It's only the transition from one place to the next in the eternal life that you have now. So all of these promises apply now because you're in eternal life now. You're not in the fullness of it, but you're living eternal life. Some see some we will see here. And some we will see there. We focus on the temporary instead of the eternal. We focus on 70, 80, 90, 100 years. Those that don't get healed here are crutchless there. Those who experience lack here will receive abundance there. But listen, while you're here, keep seeking Keep learning, keep embracing, keep walking, because you don't know if you'll experience what you need to experience on this side instead of the other. I want to tell you, I'm telling you this not because I've seen kids come and I and I have kids. I'm not saying because I, I've seen my dad fully or totally healed of cancer. I am saying this because I believe with all of my heart that every promise applies to me. Every promise applies to my family. Every promise applies to you, to this church. And I don't know the timing. I don't know when this whole thing, this whole thing is going to wrap up. But I do know soon and very soon you will experience every single thing the Bible says that you would experience. Can we stand? Much like Ziba calling out for Mephibosheth. If you do not know the Lord, the Holy Spirit is calling out to you. He is inviting you to sit at the table with the master. He is inviting you to come into relationship with him. You must realize that you are spiritually crippled now. Meaning that you have no ability to please God aside from Christ. Once you understand that and know that, you are a candidate for salvation. In other words, you come to God with nothing and say, Jesus, you are everything. You know, we get so aggravated when we sing, oh, God, you're all I need. But then we get mad when that's all we have. So I want you to understand all you need is Jesus. I don't know how your circumstance is going to play out, but I know the master does. He has your best intentions in mind. He knows exactly what he wants to do for you. He knows exactly how he wants to use you. I want you to lay that down, that distrust down. Distrust your circumstance, not the God who is able to deliver you from your circumstance. So if you are here and you do not even know the God of Abraham, Isaac, Isaac, and Jacob, Jesus Christ, I want to see your hand and I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Now listen, if you are here and you have lost sight of the promises of God, the first thing to do is to repent. Ask God to forgive you. Ask God to say, 
let's just go to the Lord and say, God, we're sorry right now. We acknowledge you as our master, as our king, as our ability. So, Father, I ask that you would change my mind and that you would help me to focus on the words of truth and know that those words of truth are the truth in my circumstance. And I want you to get your eyes from underneath the table where you see the dangling legs in your circumstance but you see above and you see Jesus whose eyes are like flames of fire that are looking at you and I want you to hear something look up at me Jesus is wanting to tell you I love you and I got your situation in my hands I will work it out I will work it out thank you God Father, we just thank you for this time in your word. God, we thank you for your wonderful presence. And God, we thank you, Lord, that our hearts are encouraged. Lord, we may still feel like we're holding on to crutches, but God, we know soon and very soon we will lay those things down and walk and run in your glorious presence. God, we thank you for the ability to come to you through Christ Jesus, who paid our penalty at Calvary. In Jesus' name, I pray and ask, amen and amen. Praise God. If you need prayer, we'll hear for you.